Can the technique an orthopedic surgeon uses to repair the anterior cruciate ligament actually send an athlete back to the game faster? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Spiro Karras, Assistant Professor of Orthopedics and the Spine Center at Emory University and Director of the Emory Orthopedic Sports Medicine Fellowship Program. He also serves as a consulting team physician for Georgia Tech and Emory University Athletics and has been published in numerous orthopedic journals. Welcome, Dr. Karras. Happy to be here, Mark. Today we are discussing anterior cruciate ligament injuries and their repair. Dr. Karras, what exactly is an anterior cruciate ligament injury? Mark, the anterior cruciate ligament is the main stabilizing ligament of the knee joint. It's a central strut, a cord of tissue that runs from the shin bone or the tibia to the thigh bone or the femur. And it's a very, very commonly injured ligament in sport. Why is that? It absorbs a lot of forces. The ligament's main function, the the ACL ligament's main function, is to keep the tibia from translating anterior on the femur. So that's a fancy way of saying it keeps the uh, shin bone from sliding towards the front relative to the femur. And the activities, especially of sport, put this anterior translating force, this force towards the front of the tibia on the femur, it produces that force quite commonly. So it's exposed to these forces quite a bit. And what kind of symptoms does someone have when they tear it? Well, surprisingly, the anterior cruciate ligament uh, injury, we, we think about it so much in football players, but if you look at the demographics or the uh, epidemiology of ACL injury, you'll find that it's most commonly a non-contact injury. It's certainly not unheard of that the soccer player takes a blow on the field of play and his, and his or her ACL is ruptured. More commonly, it's a non-contact injury where the athlete was running, he or she planted their foot on the turf and then went to turn, and you commonly hear the saying, my knee went one way and my body went the other. And so uh, most commonly, what patients, athletes will present with is a non-contact injury, a twisting on a planted foot. He or she feels a pop in their knee, then immediately go down to the ground. They're unable to bear weight. The knee will swell up with what we call an effusion or a, a specifically hemarthrosis, which means the joint fills up with blood. And that is a very, very common symptom complex or finding in patients who have undergone an ACL injury. Can you clinically make the diagnosis? You can almost make the diagnosis from the history mark. So the history that I just gave you, a a pop in the knee when twisting it on a planted foot, inability to bear weight with an immediate swelling or hemarthrosis within the first one to two hours is almost pathognomonic. It's almost descriptive just in and of the history of ACL injury. Do you routinely get an MRI? Yes, we do want to get an MRI because there are other concomitant injuries that take place with the ACL injury, most specifically a tear in the lateral meniscus and a bone bruise of the lateral femoral condyle. And does this occur equally in males and females? Very, very good question. A hot-button item right now in uh, sports medicine is the demographics, the gender demographics of ACL injuries. Depending on the sport, it could be anywhere from 2 to 1 to 3 to 1 increased risk of females versus males in ACL injuries. Uh, Basically, the female is much more prone to ACL injury than the male. So how do you treat this? Well, traditionally, 
we've done ACL reconstruction. It's a uh, time-tested technique. It is proven to certainly stabilize the knee. There is a growing uh, school of thought out there that the uh, non-anatomic ACL technique may not indeed restore the rotatory stability of the knee. The knee moves in two planes. It will move as a hinge. It will move what we call that translatory, that, that translational rotation where the tibia slides on the femur and it also rotates. So there are actually three types of motion in the knee. And a traditional ACL reconstruction has been very, very good at stabilizing the knee front to back, that translatory plane where the tibia slides on the femur. What we don't recognize or what people are beginning to recognize more and more, sports researchers, sports uh, medicine surgeons are beginning to recognize that a traditional ACL reconstruction may not restore the rotational stability of the knee, what we call the rotational pivot of the tibia on the femur. And more contemporary anatomic techniques are striving, at least in the lab, to help eliminate that rotational instability that sometimes keep our athletes from achieving their uh, full potential postoperatively. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Spiro Karras, Assistant Professor of Orthopedics and the Spine Center at Emory University and Director of the Emory Orthopedic Sports Medicine Fellowship Program. He also serves as a consulting team physician for Georgia Tech and Emory University Athletics and has been published in numerous orthopedic journals. Today we are discussing anterior cruciate ligament injury and repair. Well, Dr. Karras, we discussed the traditional reconstructive approach and you used the word a non-anatomic repair. What are the newer techniques out there? Well, we're starting to recognize now, Mark, that the ACL is actually comprised of two ligaments. So when we talk about the ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament, it's probably more accurate to describe it as the anterior cruciate ligament complex because it actually is quite a complex organ that actually is comprised of what we call two bundles, the anteromedial bundle and the posterolateral bundle. So you've got a bundle that's in the front and a bundle that's in the back, in more simply speaking. And those two bundles actually function differently throughout different ranges of motion. For instance, the anteromedial bundle is more tight when the knee is in flexion, let's say 90 degrees, and the posterolateral bundle is more tight in extension or when the knee is straight, for instance, zero degrees of flexion. Therefore, the knee is stabilized in the anatomic or non-injured setting through a full range of motion, zero to 90 degrees. A traditional ACL reconstruction would only reconstruct one of these bundles. Why? Well, the anteromedial bundle has more classically been the position of the reconstructed graft during ACL reconstruction. It's the larger of the two bundles, and at least visually, the one that appears to impart more visually appears to impact the knee's stability more. However, as more biomechanical data has come out, we recognize that the smaller posterior lateral bundle, that's the one you don't see more commonly when you're scoping a normal knee, that posterior lateral bundle is very important in that rotational component of knee stability that we talked about. Well, when you have a severe ACL injury, do you tear both bundles? Exactly. So 
when we tear both bundles of the ACL, why, Mark, are we reconstructing only one bundle? And so there's now a growing school of thought and a more and more compelling biomechanical data is coming out every day that the knee is more stable through a more complete range of motion and more rotationally stable when we indeed reconstruct or repair both bundles of the ACL. Well, how do you repair it now in this day and age? In this day and age, uh, traditionally, whether you do a single bundle or a double bundle repair, you first need a graft source. And the most classic graft sources are the patellar tendon and the hamstrings of the actual patient. There is now also alternative graft choices, such as utilizing cadaver grafts, tendons from cadaver donors or donor patients who have donated uh, their tissues to science or to the medical industry, and those are very, very strong, very, very safe, and very, very effective graft choices. The cadaver graft is a very, very safe choice. So once we've decided on a graft choice, whether it be patellar tendon, hamstrings, or cadaver graft, a donor graft, then we need to drill tunnels, one tunnel in the tibia bone, that shin bone that we talked about, and one in the femur. We can then pass the graft, whether it be the patient's own patellar tendon and hamstrings or a donor graft's tendon, through the tibia, into the joint, and into the femur. Our job then is to securely fix the graft in the femur and in the tibia to allow it to heal while the patient rehabilitates. That would be a traditional kind of ACL reconstructive technique. And that's done arthroscopically? It's done arthroscopically assisted. You do have to make a very, very small incision on the tibial side of the joint so we can drill those tunnels into the tibia and the femur. But it's largely an arthroscopic technique. The camera's in the joint all the time, monitoring where the drill holes are being placed and monitoring passage and fixation of the graft. Well, why can't you bring the ends together as opposed to putting in a graft? Excellent question. Repair techniques for the ACL have come and gone. The uh, probably largest body of work on that was performed in the United States Military Academies in the 70s, late 60s and 70s, where they actually had a, uh, a kind of a captured population of very, very high-intensity athletes. That would be our military officers who are undergoing training at the various academies, most specifically West Point or the United States Military Academy. And when a mentor of mine, Dr. John Fagan, tried to employ these repair techniques, it did look like they were not healing. They were not healing at the rate that we would predict a reconstruction would heal. It's probably attributed to not only the fact that the knee produces so many forces across the ACL that a a repair technique won't heal, but it probably also has something to do with the biochemical milieu or the biochemical environment in an injured knee joint. For instance, Mark, we know that there are a lot of enzymes that are released in the setting of ACL injury and many, many more that we don't understand that are likely released uh, during the trauma of surgery. And these enzymes and synovial fluid may make it an unfriendly biochemical environment for a primary ACL repair to heal. And how do these patients do after using a graft for the ACL repair? Well, very, very well. Typically, we uh, see that ACL repair techniques, as they've evolved over time, have gone from probably a 60 or 70% success rate and returning the athletes to the previous level of sport to now what we're seeing uh, many times uh, success rates in the 80s or 90% rate for returning the athlete to the previous level of sport. But again, you recognize that the operation is not perfect. I did not say 100% return to sport. I said somewhere in the 80 to 90% return to sport. So there is 
likely a 10 to 20 percent failure rate, even with contemporary repair techniques. And that's where our job as sports medicine specialists comes in. How do I get that last 10 to 20 percent of athletes back to their desired level of sport? And again, the double bundle repair construct may be one such technique we can employ to do that. I want to thank Dr. Spiro Karras, who has been our guest. We have been discussing anterior cruciate ligament injury and repair. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.